Welcome to Reliability Leader, a podcast about how leaders make organizations that create reliable technology. Well, hello, everybody. I'm here today with a guest I'm excited to speak with, Leila Mirmarin. Hi, Leila. How's it going? Hi, Adam. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Leila is the founder of uh, Optimus, which is an engineering services company, company that focuses primarily in computer simulation models. So um, I think that's fascinating. And actually, um, you know, an early part of my career that helped me translate into reliability and focusing on testing. So I just wanted to jump right in and begin to hear your thoughts on it. Our initial conversation was really exciting. And that's why I wanted to have you on the episode. Sure. Uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, I'd like to start with the uh, when um, I started using simulation and simulation came to my rescue, it was way back, way, way back, uh, more than 20 years ago when I was a PhD student and I was working on designing a flood ice bed for part of my PhD thesis. And um, the flood ice bed was a bit complex because we were working with a micro scale particles and we had like limited resources in the lab in terms of uh, compressed air and we had like massive pressure drop over the across the bed of particles and designing the gas distributor was very difficult and costly so my supervisor want us to have quarterly report in front of a bunch of people that he invited from industry and we were close to that and we didn't have any result we didn't have even the basic design of the bed due to the limitation of the resources. So one of my colleagues back then told me in order to have something to present, let's do a simulation mm -hmm. and show something and give them an idea of what we are doing and um, the process that is going to happen at the end of the day. So we start with that and we had a perfect presentation. We got cheered by my supervisor who was really, really strict guy. And uh, that was the first time simulation came to my rescue. So as I am a chemical engineer in my training, uh, I learned about simulation and process design, but I started my career is pro in product development for complex device and instrumentation. And many, many times I tried to use simulation back then to help us with the design and expedite our path and maybe minimize the number of iteration that we had to uh, manufacture. But um, unfortunately, building a physics-based simulation is very complex when it comes to complex device. So wait, let's help everybody understand the difference between a physics-based simulation and what would you say a good contrasting term is for regular simulation? I consider, you know, uh, what we did was physics-based simulation from the start, but physics-based simulation, as you mentioned, is pretty complex because we need to understand the physics involved in the, in, the, in the process or in the equipment or in the function that we would like to, uh, we expect that device to deliver. So as the device gets more complex and we have like multiple different elements involved in the device in order to deliver that function, we need to understand, have a deep understanding of the physics involved and interaction involved between different elements and then simulate that, define that in the simulation software that's available to everyone out there. 
And um, the complexity and the computational budget that we needed for that, uh, it is needed currently also for physics-based simulation, uh, sort of um, prevent us to use simulation as a front of the uh, design back then. But gradually, as we all know, software's evolved and we are having more advanced software these days. And uh, more and more we are using simulation, but quite recently, that's uh, the reason that we, we found Optimus was uh, we start leveraging the power of data to, to address all the gaps in the physics-based simulation that is really helpful in prediction, prediction of behavior of systems devices or processes. What's interesting, one of the things that's so interesting to me is when testing connects with simulation, right? How they work in concert together. And, you know, I, I call it anchoring often, right? Where you have a simulation and you need to anchor because you've done a lot of assumptions on boundary conditions or even how the model works. And if you can find a an example from reality, which usually comes from tests that provides output to then calibrate the model, so to speak, you then can do iterations on that to know how much better or worse you're getting. But as you keep doing that, you begin to float off again, where you don't know how accurate it would be if you were to, you know, actually use those conditions. How are you using that right now? That's a, that's a perfect question. Um, I, that's the power of data that I'm talking about comes to our help is uh, that we use experimental data that we have like a lot of it. Um, if you have access to lab or um, even even limited access to lab, we have experimental data available and we use that experimental data, refine the data, process the data with all of these methods of deep learning and neural network. We take advantage of all of that, depends on the complexity of the problem and use that to also predict the behavior of the area of the device that we are not having enough understanding of the physics let's talk within a specific example so let's talk you know you said the area of the device what's a common what's a device you would want to use to use to demonstrate this let me yes i'm going to use a very very simple example um, i i'm sure that you're familiar with cyclone cyclone that used in different processes even in different scales for separating particles from a stream of air or a liquid. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I'm not. I'm actually not super familiar with that. No, the cyclone is 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 just a piece of uh, item, which is a cone type and cone shape, and um, gas entered the cyclone and hit the wall, which is in front of the entrance of the gas, and based on the design of the cyclone and uh, velocity of gas and many, many other factors that's involved, the particles lose their uh, velocity and stay in the cyclone and gas just move around and go out. This is a very simple mechanism for separating solid particles from from gas and using is this what we've seen with you know home vacuums recently started with dyson and others as a method for separating dirt from air in vacuums are, without it, filters it, it, it's used with multiple different applications yep. from like industrial application in big factories in small yep. scales you know in households and recently uh we designed um one for 
separating uh, aerosols, bioaerosols from the air. Hmm. It was really, I call it wet cyclone, which has a wet um, environment. The walls were wet and separate, uh, captured the particle bioaerosol during COVID. It was like a big deal to, to sort of clean the air and separating if there is any bioaerosol with the air um, with different devices. And this is, was, was a simple, a scalable uh, piece that could be very helpful for that. So for that, we we wanted to design and uh, build this siphon. And uh, what we did is we used simulation in advance. We said the siphon design is pretty easy, pretty simple. We use the uh, is simple design for that. And we design, we simulate the whole physics of separation, separation and what's happening in, inside the cyclone. And then we build a very small scale of it in the lab and start testing it and got gather up a lot of data. And based on that, we um, correct our simulation because in simulation it's virtual world. You can do, yep. there's no boundary. You can, you can do whatever you want to do uh, there. And then gradually uh, with a very, very low cost, we were able to get to the optimum design and almost 99% of collection efficiency that we could easily be built in a scale for that purpose that we had back then for one of our clients. What, so, what was that timeline like in comparison to if you had done iterations of design and physical testing, right? Because that's one of the tremendous benefits is you don't have that, those long periods of time to physically build and run tests. What would you exactly. say the compression was by using a simulation versus if you hadn't? You know, for for uh, for medical device, we sort of calculate that we're gonna save in between thirty percent or forty percent of the time compared to the conventional methods. So, if you say for for building the first prototype, we need uh, maybe six seven months of back and forth till we get to the um, prototype, which which we can demonstrate. Uh, with this, if you build the simulation quite fast, you can go with three months. Okay. And and right. um, not as much budget needed. This right. is really important because usually we are dealing with limitation and resources. So right. time is one thing and saving money is another thing. And the fact that, uh, as you mentioned about testing, we can even create virtual testing. Uh, as uh, the access to labs are limited, limited, there are some equipment that's really expensive to go and test your device with. You can bring down the number of tests and do the rest virtually. So this is another thing that you can do using data-driven physics-based simulation is what we are doing. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's interesting. So if, you know, you cut the time in half. What would you say a lot of the time is spent in in this you know the analysis section is it in building the models you know so these are generally cfd models right computational fluid dynamic the example you're talking they about can be cfd this one was a yes but they can be cfd they can okay. be though they come out with their different different of the application is it the, the model building or is it boundary conditions or is it the iterations that are taking the most most of that the, time for the simulation part is capturing the physics as it, if it is very complex and there is unknown areas, understanding the physics and defining it right for the simulation takes most of the time. I and see. Okay. So to some degree that goes back to one of my first questions about 
the difference of what you're describing is physics-based simulation versus other simulation, we'll call it maybe engineering simulation is the physics-based simulation. You're really creating the models from the physics as opposed to, would you say engineering simulation is where you're taking engineering equations that are already the derivations from physics, right? And making models. Would you say that's kind of the, the descriptive difference between physics uh, and non? You know, uh, the, the computational budget, uh, why simulation, physics-based simulation is expensive is because of the number of computations. A number of equations needs to be solved at the same time in order to uh, predict what needed to be predicted. Yeah. What data is doing is replace that. It's basically using the data, we are creating data-driven model. So we predict the behavior and bring it down into one equation. So all of those computations is going to be uh, narrowed down in one equation. And because we have data, we have the power of deep learning and uh, experiment on our side. That equation is uh, predicting the behavior of device flawlessly that part of that particular part of the device so we identified the area that are very expensive computationally and we built the data-driven model of those area which we call the use ordered model and use that instead of going through all of those series of computation for running the simulation and that is where data-driven physics simulation is um very helpful and can gradually become sort of a real time is you don't have to go all of these computation and computation. Yep. So let's talk about like somebody, you know, a customer approaching, you know, your firm and when they would realize that this is really critical. So if you were, you know, if somebody, a lot of engineer, a lot of product design firms have finite element analysis packages, they do structural, thermal, vibration, simple things like that and do iterations. At what point would, what's an example of a problem where they should say, hey, we need to reach out because this is really more of a physics-based simulation? Yeah, yeah. Let me, um, there are, I can say, you know, we are working with clients and we are helping them with co-developing their concepts. And they, they have like a napkin uh, drawing. They come to us, we try to build it and to sort of uh, help them with the evolution of the idea, adding multiple different factors and variables involved in, um, in, in that concept development. It's one area that we are really helpful, which, uh, because uh, the firm out there, they do physical prototyping. They are, um, they are usually start with at least a basic design of the device or the idea, and then they start building up on that. And anywhere it's needed, they're running simulation. But if that design being more mature is really more helpful to them. This is one area we can help. Mm -hmm. And another area is when you are dealing with a very complex device, which is really expensive to uh, manufacture the prototype. And uh, when it they goes to multiple iteration and they have to build different parts in order to diagnose the fault, to see how the design is working, they usually uh, um, the time and budget is the key factors, especially in today's market. Well, give me wait, but give me an example of a, what you're describing—a very complex, expensive device. Are we talking about like microcircuitry? Are we like what are some other examples where you know uh, this would be not? You can't just do regular simulation. It is even in the area that you can do regular simulation because of the time is consumed for 
getting the result out of the simulation is good to involve data because you have more accurate and higher fidelity of simulation at the end of the day. But for example, is you have a diagnostic device which has a critical part uh, or critical sensor that is needs to manufacture flawlessly and it takes a lot of time. We have a client, they have a cell in their devices. It's really complex. They are building it by hand in-house. They cannot even afford to give people manufactured in the scale out there with mass manufacturing. And that's really expensive. So they have some problem with their device and they don't know how to solve it. They keep manufacturing different sensors and test it to see trial and error to see which part has a problem. For them, just the physics-based simulation itself is too complex because multiple different physics involve and interacting with each other in order to deliver that functionality. So for that itself, they, they came to us and we built that um, a digital prototype of that sensor for them that sort of mimic and predict the same behavior and yeah. help understand where needs design enhancement. And now they're working on a new design. So it's really helpful to cut the cost, again, cut the yeah. time. And, and, I see know, that with, it's interesting from a reliability engineering perspective, right? Because so many, there's so many, there can be iterations from test and, <clears throat> you know, and looking to do design improvements in the reliability process to make something more robust. And you could, it sounds like once you have the model built, very easily look at what variabilities can occur and how it would affect performance, because you can just run the model with those variabilities. Exactly. Because so much of reliability is the study and control of how variabilities affect performance. So once you have this model, you would be able to really quickly characterize how those variabilities affect performance. It'd be very powerful in making a more robust design in the first iteration. Exactly. To your point is, uh, when we have that model, you can have um, run infinite scenarios. You know, the, the client, different people who are involved in the design and of the process, they can come and say, okay, run this scenario for us. It's not expensive, it's easy. It's just a your computer. And you can change some of the factors, boundary conditions, see how it behaves. And you go out of your way and see when the device is a complete failure and what is the ideal situation of the device. So that gives you a tool that make it easier for you to play around with your device or innovation or idea to see how it works. And it also might give you new ideas. Right. To, to yeah, that's new features, yeah. That's super important. Yeah, I always am pushing for that a lot, that to not just look at your test to get a binary piece of information out, yes, no. What can you learn from it, right? That's my whole use case seven idea, which is put stresses in there and use cases you normally wouldn't have and see if you get responses you didn't expect. And if that inspires, you know, going in new direction. So it's great to picture that you can do that in simulation too, not just in testing. You can put these exactly. other use cases in there that are extreme or, you know, go in new directions. And instead of having to do my use case seven stuff where it's very expensive because you're destroying things, here you are able to in very fast iterations do this, you know, in simulation, which is very powerful. That, that's, that's really true. And, you know, today market is um, that the lifetime of technology is really short. So if you are not coming up with innovative methods to bring your technology and like great ideas to the market fast, there's always somebody else out there going to get the market and get your market share. So yeah. it's really important to be smart from the first step and use, you know, reliability engineering simulation take anything that you can take for your advantage to bring your product to the market yeah 
That's great. Well, thank you so much, Layla, for taking time to uh, share this with us. It's really fascinating. And I'm going to, we'll include your contact information and for Optimus uh, in the description for anybody who wants to reach out to you. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for inviting me again. And great talking to you. Good talking to you too. Bye-bye.